Hola mi gente, what up my people, my name is Pastor Rich Colon, I'm the lead pastor here at Santos Church, broadcasting to you live from Southwest Detroit, Michigan. Wherever you're listening from, I'm glad that you are listening. This podcast is meant to do one of two things, and that is either bring you our message content or it's content that we thought would enrich our message content. We'll have more information at the end of this episode on how you can get connected with us either in person, online, or on social media. But for now, thanks for listening to this podcast. Gracias para escuchando este podcast. And let's get into it. Vamos. So that's the context for you. If you missed James 1 and 2, follow that up. Go back to the podcast today. We're jumping right in. I say that every week. I literally mean it. That's all the context I'm going to give you. We're jumping right into James 3 and 4. If you are in the Streetlights Bible, um, follow along with that. I'm going to read them to you. Um, We are going to be on page... 356, okay? So if you're following along in the Streetlights Bible, it's these Bibles... They're street savvy. They're written for the average Joe like me. Okay, and uh, page 356, what we're going to be on. Um, if you are following along, let me, let me let you know how this is going to go. On the screen behind me, usually I give you key verses. When we go through an entire book of the Bible, I can't hit you with every verse. That's a lot of verses. So I read it to you, and then I give you a couple key verses that I think illustrate really well the vibe of the rest of the chapter. Uh, this morning, I'm going to give you two slides, one that gives you a passage for James 3, one that gives you a passage for James 4. Okay, because they're, they're big chunks. This is where James, the past two chapters, James was like kind of dabbling a little bit. He was throwing punchlines out here and there. He was on like his battle rap tip. Like he was saying hot stuff and everybody was like, oh, dang, that was fire. Now James is on like his like story writer, like Jay-Z tip, if you follow that. If not, he, he's on his dashboard confessional, okay? So he's, he's on that this week. So he's honing in a little bit more to these things that are specifically plaguing the church in Jerusalem. And go figure, I think they're things that could be plaguing the church in America today. So don't skip out on this. This is for you. This is for me. This is for us. Uh, and this, I mean, it's good stuff. James is a beast, as we've already seen. So uh, James chapter 3, we're going to jump in. We're looking at two things today. In James 3, James is looking at your words. In James 4, he's looking at your will, your willpower, your will to do things. So your words and your will, those are the two things for today, okay? Your words and your will. Somebody say amen. amen. Let's get a little bit better. Let's do a little out of that. Say amen. amen. Amen, amen, amen. So you can do that whenever you want. I won't be mad at you, okay? Words and will. James is tackling these two things. If you want to know more about James chapter 3, go back, listen to our podcast. Uh, we did an entire series on our words. Your words create worlds. We did an entire month on that. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time picking apart this. I'm going to read it because James wrote it. Now we have it in this context. But if you want more specifically on words, use the podcast. It's there for you. Amen. So here we go. James chapter 3, the brother of Jesus writes this. Here is something plaguing 
the church in Jerusalem. I want you to receive this like you are on the receiving end of his letter when he wrote it. Because God's spirit works through the scripture, right? Scripture is alive. It's moving with God's spirit. That means that when James wrote it, he wrote it for that context, but God uses it and meant to use it even for today. So yes, this applies to us. James chapter 3, verse 1. Here we go. James says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. In other words, your tongue is the hardest part of you to to control. If you can figure out how to watch your mouth, everything else could be a breeze for you because the tongue is something that is hard for anybody and everybody to control. The most lofty, professional, elite business person, you will see the headlines, will get in trouble for saying something they shouldn't have, for sending a text they shouldn't have, for an email that they didn't know was going to get read publicly. People lose jobs, corporations crash because people cannot control their tongues. Verse 3, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of just putting a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is the whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, and it is set on fire by hell itself. Good gravy. What were they doing back then? James is teeing off. Thank you. Yes, see, right? You're you're following. Right? Like, James is teeing off here. James is going, hey, there's things that could potentially shipwreck, literally shipwreck your entire life. And if there is one that I could focus on to tell you to pay attention to, it's watch how you talk to each other. Watch the words that you say about people and to people. Watch how you represent yourself with your mouth. Because if there is something that could destroy everything in an instant, it is your tongue. He says it is like a spark, a small spark that just can light a whole forest on fire. When we talked about words create worlds, I showed you an actual example of how uh, a couple did a a, uh, um, gender reveal party and and a little like, boom, like a little like firework confetti thing malfunctioned. The thing was this big and it ended up burning over 100,000 acres of property in California, causing millions of dollars of damage. James is essentially saying the same thing. He's like, you want to know what could cause great devastation to that magnitude in people's lives? Your mouth. So watch it. Amen? People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, fish, but no one can can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, that is not right. There's a spring of water uh, do, does the spring of water bubble out both fresh water and bitter water or salt water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. 
What he's saying is, Jesus said something to the same effect. He said, you'll know a tree by its fruits. You don't go to an apple tree and expect oranges. That wouldn't be what an apple tree does. James is saying, you don't go to a fresh water spring looking for a refreshing drink of water, and then you draw out salt water. You'd be like, whoa, I went to the wrong place. This isn't what comes out of this source. So James is saying for you and I, when we claim at one time with our mouth to believe in Jesus, who's like the, 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 the one who is most gracious, most loving, most merciful, all-forgiving, reconciling, redeeming, and then we talk in ways that are juxtaposed to that, James is saying that's as oxymoronic, that is as hypocritical, that is as mind-bending as walking to an orange tree expecting an apple to fall off of it. It won't happen. In other words, you can say you're an apple tree all day long, but if people see oranges, you're an orange tree, my brother, my sister. So if you're an apple tree, make sure you talk like an apple tree. Amen? Then he goes on to say what true wisdom is. In other words, the implication is that's not true wisdom. Talking one way, living another, that's actually not wise. People see right through that. People can tell when something's phony. In verse 13 he says, but if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from that wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous... Bitterly jealous, and there's selfish ambition in your heart. Don't cover it up. Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So if you feel one way, lie about it and act another way. If you hold an opinion on something or someone when you're behind their back, but then they get in your face and you switch up on them, he's saying that, first of all, that's not wise. That's not loving. That's unspiritual. And James is not playing. He said it's demonic. That's downright the most opposed thing you could do to the Spirit of God. For wherever there is a uh, jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find discord and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving. It's gentle at all times. It's willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and it's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Look at me. He says that latter half, that second half, in reference to the first half. Your key passage for this, the whole tone of chapter 3 is verses 1 through 10. 3, 1 through 10. That'll be up behind me. 3, 1 through 10. And here's the point. James is saying your words will broadcast your reason. Whatever reason you have in your heart for thinking a certain thing, wanting a certain thing, Your words will show people that quicker than anything else. Your words broadcast your reason and your reasoning. So when people see you do something, they watch you move, but then they hear you talk, they can see through it, and they can either look at it and fact check it and go, yep, words and deeds line up. Their words match their reason. Their words match their why. Why do they do things? Why do they love people? Why do they hate on people? Why are they judging people? Your words match those things, and if they don't match, people can see there's no authenticity there. 
And James says this latter half, what true wisdom is, and jealousy, selfish ambition, all those things. He says those because if those are the reasoning in your heart, if that's the reason why you do things, then your words are going to show that. Your words are, are going to be a window to those reasons that you hide in your heart. So he says if there's selfish ambition, expect there to be discord. You want to know why there's going to be discord? Because you got selfishness in your heart, so you're going to speak from a bitter place about whoever you're coveting against. People are going to say good things about that person or those people, and you are going to say something to shoot it down. You're going to sow discord because something in you doesn't want there to be uh, unity there. You've got to breed division with your words because there's something going on inside your heart that's different, that James says is unspiritual, and if it's that bad, it could be demonic. Chapter 4. Wow, that was only chapter 3. Chapter 4. Somebody say amen. So chapter 3, if you want to take a picture of that, thank you, Frank. If you want to take a picture of that or know more or look at that later, uh, your key verses are 3, 1 through 12. And my synopsis of that for you is that your words will broadcast your reason. Pay attention to how you talk. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm even talking to my children... Like, we do it subconsciously, and I'll hear myself later. Like, I'll, I'll say something to Diego, right? Diego's my two-year-old, and he's, he's a stud. Let's just be real. He's a stud. He's a cutie, right? We call him a Sour Patch Kid at home because he's the sweetest thing. I mean, the sweetest thing. He'll sweet-talk you. He'll hug you. He'll, I love the way he says, he want, like, how he talks about wanting a hug. When, when Diego wants a hug, he doesn't say, give me a hug. He says, I want to hold you. What? Yeah, bro. Like, right? Like, daddy, I want to hold you. I'm like, hold me, buddy. Like, right? Like, it's just, it's sweet. And then two seconds later, he'll be like, daddy, I want this. And I'll be like, no. And he'll lose his mind. What? Like, just freaks out. We're in the twos, right? The terrible twos. But we're going to call them the tremendous twos or terrific twos, right? Your words create worlds. And, uh. Sometimes I'll react to him when he's in that sweet time, like, oh, and then Olivia will roll up, and she's sharpening her sarcasm. She's gotten a little sense of humor, and she'll walk up, and she'll try a joke. She walked up to me the other day after I got my hair cut, and it was partially an accident. They cut it too low, if you're wondering why my head looks weird. And she walks up, <laughs> and she puts her hand on my shoulder, and she goes, I like your cut, Jit. I don't know where that comes from. It might be a TikTok thing. She don't watch TikTok, but her friends do, right? And she, she walked up right behind me and said, I like your cut, Jit. And I pushed her arm off me. I was like, yo, don't do that. In that moment, I realized something. She's going to watch me interact with Diego. And Diego can be the most annoying Sour Patch kid in the world. But I'm like, hey, you, me, 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 me. And then when she walks up and she's just trying to be funny, but it doesn't rub me the right way at the right time, and I react impatient. She's going to look at that, and she, by the way I talk, is going to go, why is he your favorite? Why do you show him favoritism? Why can he act like that? But I can't. All I was doing was joking. He's throwing a f- and, and in that, that's just an example, but in those moments, I stop and I go, man, I've really got to watch the way I talk to my kids in front of my other kids because they hear the way I talk, and they can make assumptions. The same is for you. 
Maybe you don't have kids, but the way you talk to or about another coworker in front of your other coworkers, or your spouse in front of your friends, or your boss in front of other employees, or people at church around other people at church when they didn't show up to the small group that you showed up to, fill in the blank, your words do something. And here's the thing, to people who are in a healthy place, with their words, they can see because it's really broadcasting a motive that you have in your heart. Chapter 3. Here's chapter 4. Here we go. If you with me, say yeah. 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 All right. Was that Frank? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Creepy. Okay. Chapter 4. So James says this. What is causing the quarreling and fighting amongst you? Don't they come from the evil desires that are at war within you? No, James. Actually, they come from the other person. The other person's an idiot. The other person doesn't think the right way about the right thing. The other person thinks that this political party is the right way and they're wrong. The other person thinks that that person should have done this. The other person is, the other, right, we always want to relegate blame to the other party, but James is asking, starts with a question and goes, what's the problem? What's the source of your disagreements, of your fighting? Why can't you get along with people? I'll give you an answer, James says. He says, it comes from the evil that's inside of yourself, the war that is being waged within your own heart. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. Wow. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God. It's not their fault. You don't got it. It's not their problem that you want what they have. They got it not because of you or in spite of you. They got it because they got it. You don't have it because you're too busy throwing stones instead of seeking God. Seeing what God would have for you instead. Is what James says. And even when you ask, you probably don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Your motives, your motivation, your will, your why, it's all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Check this out. Verse 4, you adulterers. You know what an adulterer is? An adulterer is somebody who cheats on their spouse. So is he talking to a room full of people who just cheat on their spouse? No, he's calling them adulterers because they're supposed to be committed to God, but in their actions, they're showing they're committed to another love. So he calls them adulterers because they're cheating on God with what they really want pleasure from. They say they love God, but their actions, what they do, not what they say, is they're, they're not lining up. So they say they want God, but they act like they love something way more. And he's saying, if you do that, you're essentially cheating on God. You're an adulterer to the Holy Spirit. That's tough. That's strong. What if somebody walked up to you? What if somebody walked up to you? We'd be fighting. We'd be scrapping. If somebody saw a selfish way that I acted and they walked up and said, hey, you're supposed to believe in Jesus, right? I said, yeah. They said, oh, you're, you're kind of cheating on them. You're an adulterer. You're forsaking your love for God for that right now. That's what you're doing. I'd be like, yo, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Right? I'd be defensive. 
James is talking to an entire church. James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And he's saying, you are having issues. Not because of the other people around you. You're having issues because you've forsaken your love for God and replaced it for your love for pleasure in this world. That's tough. But for you and I, what could we look at in our own life and see where we've traded out? We, our words have never changed. Our word only says we love God. Our words only say we're committed to Jesus. But with our actions, we swap it out and we act like we're more committed to our love for something else. For money, for pleasure, for comfort, for position, for title, for visibility, for importance, for prominence. Fill in the blank for meaning. What have we forsaken our love for God for? You adulterers, don't you realize that your friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, pause. This doesn't mean you love people and you're friends with people in the world. What it means is the systems at work in the world that are opposed to God, right? You're more, you have more allegiance to a political party than you do the kingdom of God. You, you care more about what a politician could do for you than what King Jesus has done for you. That's a worldly system. You depend more on things that you have around you and tangibles to make you feel like you're supported, to make you feel like you're safe, to give you security, than God promising you that he'll never leave you or forsake you. That's a system of the world that you believe over God's word. These are the things of the world, not people in the world, because those are part of creation and God created all things. They are from him and they are good because he made them. He doesn't make bad. But the systems in this world is what James is talking about. If you are more concerned about worldly things, things that people made with these hands, than what God says, who made those people with those hands, you're a friend to the world. You're more concerned with the world than you are God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? The spirit has, sorry, they say that God is passionate that the Spirit has placed, that he has placed the Spirit within us and we should be faithful to him. He gives grace graciously or generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So therefore, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's all you got to do. Some people be tripping. Some people, oh man, I'm under attack. My life is crazy right now. The devil's trying to throw stuff at me right now. I don't know what's going on, man. God just really trying to test me. Listen, it's simple. James is like, yo, let's not make it bigger than it needs to be. If it's persisting, it's because you're giving into it. It's only living there because you gave it a bedroom. If you resist, it'll leave. If you shut the door and don't answer it, it'll find another door. Stop opening the door to the things that God says shut it off. Stop making a way for it, and it'll leave you. Resist, and it'll flee. You don't got to do all these crazy things. Like, right? like just have self-control. Just guard your heart. Just watch your speech. Just be careful when dealing with the things of God. Just resist, and it'll leave you alone. It's not strong enough to overtake you. You belong to God. It's not strong enough. Resist, and it will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash 
your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts. Golly, that church was empty the next week, right? They're like, we're not, we're going to the different, we're going to the other church. Let, <laughs> let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. We don't make room for that in the church anymore. We don't want people to feel bad. We feel like if people feel bad, it makes Jesus look bad. God says godly sorrow is a good thing. Jesus, James is saying remorse for things that you've done that you shouldn't have, that's a good thing. That's how you learn. Sitting in the weight of those things is what teaches you to not go back to those things. So he says sit in them a little while. If you've got to cry, cry. If you've got to be grieved by it, be grieved by it. Let there be sadness instead of your laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord because then he can lift you up in honor. I'll let that talk for itself. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, you're criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you or not. I guess it's thankful. Your job is not to judge whether or not it applies to anybody else or if it applies to... Your job is just to obey what God said. Your job is not to go around pointing out people who are violating what God's... Your, your job is not to be the hall monitor for what God said. Your job is not to walk around and be the compass for everybody else to follow. Your job is just to follow. And I have a feeling the implication here is once you do that, people will see that and they will follow. It's not because you yelled at them, it's because you were a good example to them. Amen. But your job is to obey the law, not judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Look here. To everyone who would say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this town or we'll stay there a whole year. We'll do business there. Maybe we'll make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It's here for a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we'll live and then we'll do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. Pause. So don't take this out of context. What James is saying is, not, not don't make plans. Not don't have hopes or goals for the future. What James is saying is, before you start thinking that you are going to rule and run your own life, if you are really trying to submit to Jesus, give it to him first and submit it to what he would have you do. He says, go about your plan, but then, but change your verbiage, change the way you think about it, change your heart around it. If God would will, we can do that. If God is pleased, we can do that. Not just, oh, I'm going to do, it's what, it's what we talked about last week. You're not taking Jesus for a ride. You're a passenger in Jesus's ride. And it's probably really sweet. Let's be honest. He's probably got an H2 Hummer, gold spinners. You know what I'm talking about. He's not playing Toby Mac for anybody that listens to Christian music. Not playing that. Ew, right? So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Carmen's like, not cool. You think she listens to Toby Mac? Hmm, okay. 
You're not taking Jesus for a ride. He's in control. And if you really believe that, then act like it. Give him preference in your life before you create your roadmap. Here's what I leave with you from the scripture. Not leave with you, just from the scripture. Actually, I'm going to wait on it. We're not going to read the last scripture. If you're there, you can read it and you can just sit with it for a second. I'm going to leave that until the end. So your key passage for chapter 4 is 4, 1 through 10. And here's your takeaway for 4, 1 through 10. Your will shows your why. So your words broadcast your reason, then your will shows your why. What you will to do, right? So in other words, your, the, the, the things you're motivated to show your why. Show what you esteem. Show what you hold as important. Show what you value. And if people see with our actions, scratch that. I won't even make it so outward focused. For the past few weeks, I've been talking a lot about what people see. Let's just, we're not, let's say we're not there yet. Let's say just for us. If we are trying to have a life that esteems Jesus, if we are trying to really have a vital, vibrant, living, active faith that causes us to do something, then we need to look at our words and we need to take inventory of our own actions, our own will. We have to ask ourselves why we are doing the things that we're doing, why we're pursuing the things we're pursuing, why we want what we want, why we talk a certain way about ourselves or others. I, I, I had a moment early on in our relationship. Carmen and I just celebrated 10 years of marriage, some light. It's been incredible. It's been incredible for real. But like, what's 10 years when you have like, you know, 70 or 80 more, whatever, unless Jesus comes back, which he could. But, right? But like, thank you. You hear that? She said, oh, so sweet. Thank you. Appreciate it. (laughs) But I learned something early on in our relationship. Carmen would hear the way I would talk to people. I would interact with people and I'd just be really sharp with certain people. Certain people would say something or do something, and it would trigger me, and then I'd just be like, like I would impose my, not my presence, not like, it wasn't physical, it was just the way I would talk from then on was almost like I was bullying them, right? And so Carmen pulled me aside later, and she's like, you know, like, why, why are you doing that? Like, I feel like people are going to get the, the wrong impression about it. Like, why are you, what, right? And the more we talked, the more I thought about this, and I prayed about this, and I ended up telling her later on, it wasn't a quick thing. I mean, it was, it was a while. These situations happened frequently. And she was faithful to let me know they did. And, uh, and I eventually came to this conclusion that there was traumas that I encountered through my life early on where I felt taken advantage of, where I feel like people got over on me, where I feel stuck in the corner about things. So now that I'm an adult, if I feel like I'm in a similar situation where somebody's trying to take me for a fool, or somebody's trying to get over on me, or somebody thinks they're going to bully me around or talk to me like I'm stupid or whatever it is, that triggers me and that causes me to react, and now it changes my whole tone, my whole disposition, my whole presence is different now because I'm acting in reaction to that feeling that was triggered inside of me. They are not going to take advantage of me. They are not going to get over on me. I am not stupid. Don't talk to me like I'm stupid. Shout out Hamilton. He looked at me like I was stupid. I'm not stupid. I didn't punch anybody, but Hamilton, watch it. It's great. 
But that is to say that the way I was acting, even the way I was talking, then the people that I would avoid after that all stemmed from this trauma that I had years before of where I felt like people were, were, were taking me for an idiot and there, therefore it was like I was kind of secretly the punchline of a joke maybe to certain people and I, didn't want, I, I felt like, no, nah, like you're going to respect me more than that. So even people that now had no relation to the previous situation... Just people now that may have talked to me a way that made me think of that are going to get treated a certain way. My will, my actions, my words were showing what was really going on in here. And Carmen's like, hey, that's not healthy. And people see that you're acting aggressively and you're, and you're being confrontational. So I had to go back and do an inventory. And I had to start really honestly praying and saying, God, I know this is there. And I don't want it to live in me anymore. I don't want it to drive me anymore. I don't want it to control my will or my motivations anymore. For you today, what do you have? What can you take inventory of? Think back over the past week. How do you talk to people? This isn't me condemning you. I just gave you my own story of being an idiot to people. But how do you talk to people? Do people feel valued by your words? Do people feel Jesus in your words? Look at me, when you talk to people, even people at the fast food place, do people feel like they have innate value as a person, not as a worker, as a person, because you talk to them differently? One of the things that we start doing now, and Carmen will catch me if I don't, you're seeing a trend here, is that if we go somewhere, we'll have a waiter come up to the table, waitress come up to the table, and hey, can I take your order? And before I even answer the question, I'll go, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Are you like a secret shopper or something? Like, am I? No, like, how are you, how are you as a person? Not your job. How are you doing? Read their name tag. How are you doing? Because you are a person that has feelings. How are you feeling today? Do people feel valued around you? Do your words show that there's something? When people see that, they're like, oh my gosh. It takes people back because they're like, that. I deal with 150 people a day. You're the one person that did that. Why are you the one that did that? Because in here, there's something different driving us. I was at a, a restaurant last night, and uh, we ate. Carmen and I, Roberto was there. We ate. We had Camila too, but she didn't eat the food. She can't yet, okay? And uh, we eat, and Carmen's like, oh, we're going to take some home for... My mom, Olivia, they're chilling at home. So I go back up to the register. I'm going to order. I'm standing there. I ordered in front of somebody else. We're at this uh, Mediterranean restaurant where they build bowls kind of like, uh, like Chipotle does. So my bowl is like two or three stations down, uh, and there's a lady next to me. And she's, she ordered like triple meat. Like they stacked this junk like mad high. Like she knew what she was doing. She'd been there before. And I was like, wow, that looks great. And she was like, yeah, I know, I know, I'm excited about it. <laughs> I was like, you get excited about food too, yeah. Right, like, so I'm just sitting there watching, and I don't know, small detail. Something happened where they had to, oh, I, I was waiting for a certain kind of meat to be done to go on grandma's or abuela's uh, gyro, gyro. It's not a gyro, it's a gyro, sorry. So they moved her in front of me. So now when they switched her in front of me, something in my mind was like, hey, she's in front of you now, so you can pay for her. Like, when she's about to pay, just step in and pay for her. 
And, and, I, and I do this sometimes. I'll give somebody a buck or I'll, you know, I'll get the person's coffee behind me, whatever, right? But this time I felt like, just go with me here. I felt like God was like, hey, tell her that I said to do this. And I was like, okay. And like, it wasn't like God was like, hey, Rich, uh, can you tell her that? It, was, it, wasn't like, it wasn't like that. It was just like you knew. Like in my heart, I knew I, what I had to do. And so when she went to order, I literally put my hand in front of, she's going to go put her chip in the thing, and I put my hand in front of it, and her card hit my hand. I was like, ow, never mind. And <laughs> I blocked her. And she looks at me like, what? And I was like, you don't have to pay for that. Don't pay for that. And I just put my card, I didn't even ask permission. I just stuck my, my chip in the chip reader. I was like, I'm going to pay for that. And she was like, wait, what? what? And the ladies behind the counter were like, what, what, what? And then I looked down, I was like, whoa, was this a big order? Because they're freaking out. Like, did I just? <laughs> and I said, and she was like, oh, man, thank you. Oh, yeah. She had a big personality. Oh, thank you. She's typing up. I said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. She chilled out. I said, it's going to sound weird. I did that. I want you to know I did that because God told me to do that. And she went, this is her genuine, genuine reaction. She stepped back and she went, she goes, man. She lo- I'm not joking. She looks up. She goes, I know you love me. She took her food and left. She looked up to God in the restaurant in front of all the workers and said, I know you love me. Because all I did was pay for her triple meat gyro bowl with extra garlic sauce and cucumber. I paid for that. And in that moment, all I did was be obedient and said, hey, God wanted me to do this. She could have been like, I don't believe in God, but thank you. That was kind, right? All I said was, God wanted me to do this. She looked up to God in heaven and was like, I know you love me. She didn't look at me and go, thanks, buddy. She was like, I know you love me. <laughs> yeah. God looked down and was like, hey, pay for Frank next time. No. Saying that to say... So then, I'm going to order. I did not have this planned. I was prepared to pay overdraft fees. I'm just saying. And I'm going, I'm kidding. I'm going to pay for our food now. And when I'm about to pay, the chick behind the counter looks like a bomb went off. She's just staring at me. And I was like, how much? Like, how much is it? Cuanto es? Like, what am I? And she's like, you're not paying. And I was like, I'm paying. And she was like, no, 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 like, and the other girl had to talk for her because she was like blown away and she leaned forward and she goes, I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody do anything kind like that here. So don't pay for your food. Like it's free. That was amazing. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, can you throw on some chips? I'm kidding. Right? Like, <laughs> not to say I got a free meal or whatever. That is to say, they were blown away by me spending $12 on somebody I didn't know. 12 bucks on somebody I didn't know. They were so blown away that they were like, take it. Whatever you got, just take I could have had an $80 order. They were like, just go. We haven't seen kindness like that. That's Jesus. When, when, when you just look at her and go, hey, you don't have to pay for this. I got this. And she looks up and goes, I know you love me. That's Jesus. That's what James is talking about all over this chapter. He's saying, if you get to the point in your faith when talking about the cool things that you do is more important than that, 
You're off track. You should be, and I'm not making myself an example because I miss it a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I miss it a lot. That situation took me back because I don't do it enough. But if we get to a place in our faith where it's more common for us to just yak, 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 then it is to see stuff like that happen, we are off. We're off. Jesus said, he rose from the grave, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, bro, like, how did you come back to life? And Jesus was like, that was pretty cool, right? I'm telling you the truth. You will do greater things than that. That's what Jesus said, his own words. So if Jesus, who just brought himself back to life, is like, pretty cool, you're going to do better things, why do we settle for so little? Why are we okay living day in and day out talking so much instead of seeing something happen? And a lot of times we wait to see something happen. We're like, God, show me a sign. God's like, you are the sign. You want to see something happen? Start moving. You want to see a life change? You want to see a miracle? Do what I asked you to do. I put the power to work miracles inside of you. And all you have to do is do it. And you will see miracles happen. That's all. If you get something from the entire book of James, get that. James is saying we should be a church characterized by Jesus. When Jesus says you'll do greater things, we should be a church characterized by greater things, not greater speech. That's the whole thing. I wanted to wrap this message up. I ask, I ask you, I challenge you, my challenge for you is this. Take an inventory of your words and your will this week. See where your motivations are. If your words are broadcasting your reasoning, what are they broadcasting? Broadcasting, what's your reasoning? If your will shows your why, what's your why? Look at your actions and see what's really driving you. And if they're off, and it's a good chance they might be because mine get off easily. Within days, they can... Submit it back to God. Like James said, before you do this or do that, come back to Jesus and say, God, if you will it. God, what is your will? God, what, what would you have me do? God, who's triple lamb <laughs> euro can I pay for? What would you have me do? Start there. I wanted to not just tell you the things and bring a challenge to you. I actually wanted to celebrate with you. A pastor that mentors me, pastors need pastors. I say this to all people, like to pastors. Pastors need pastors too. We, none of us are exempt. We all need to be shepherded. I'm no different. Nobody's different. So a pastor that pastors me, my pastor, he was like, hey, you need to make sure that you regularly tell your people stories about the things that are happening at your church. And so I felt like I just want to give you, just of this week, a rundown of what action looks like around here, what it has looked like around here. I want to celebrate with you for 30 seconds. I'm going to read to you what we've seen in just the past six days. Because this is what a church on the move, a church committed to action, not just talking, should look like. Some of you are referred to in this. I didn't use anybody's names because I don't want to get jumped after church. We are in Southwest. So if it's you, you know it's you. We love you, okay? Here we go. This week alone, we had somebody who had no place to stay. 
get a place to stay that they didn't have to pay for. They're working for, don't have to pay for. And we saw another couple from the church come up with a bed for them for free for this person until they get furniture. That's, you might be, okay, cool, they gave them a bed. Listen, that's not, if you only knew, a bed's not just a bed. Amen? Somebody got a place to stay out of nowhere, miraculous. Has it, now has somewhere to sleep. We have, we have the opportunity, we have the opportunity to give away meals for Thanksgiving which is in and of itself a cool thing, but inside of that, we had some team members of this church give of their own time to drive almost 40 minutes away and load up over, thir- or over uh, 20 meal kits that will be given away to people living in this neighborhood that don't have food to eat for the holiday. That's incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. Tonight, we're having a community Thanksgiving dinner where people who do not go to Santos Church on a Sunday morning will come here on a Sunday evening and feel the love of Jesus by people here that don't know them, cooking for them, sitting with them, loving on them, sharing with them. This week at a dinner small group, we had a homeless person sit for dinner with us and tell us their life story for over an hour. I've been to a lot of churches that talk a lot of hypotheticals about, well, we gotta just love, we gotta love the least of these, we gotta love the poor, and don't throw a quarter out the window at a stop sign. We got to sit at a table for hours and hear the stories of somebody who literally sleeps under a tree every single night, share dinner with them. We got to cook dinner for them. The hands and feet of Jesus. A couple from the church went grocery shopping for another family who did not have the means to go grocery shopping for themselves. Last week we had somebody share with us a serious health condition that they are facing. And Drew and myself got to lay hands on them, like scripture says to do in Peter. We got to lay hands on them and pray that the spirit of God would heal them. That's just, that's just the past week, from Sunday to Sunday. That's a lot. In case you didn't know, and this is not a contest, but there's some churches that don't see that happen in a month. There's some churches that haven't seen that happen in years because we think that church is what church is about. Action is what church is about. I share that with you, because, especially when talking about James, because when we talk about our faith meaning our action, that's what we want to celebrate is that, and we want more of that because this is what... The band can come. This is what the kingdom of God is about. This is what faith meeting action looks like. We had a whole series called Kingdom Come. This is God's kingdom coming here now. When I was texting Drew and Ashley after the homeless man was at our house eating, the homeless brother was at our house eating, I'd call him by name, but I don't, again, privacy. And I'm texting him afterwards, and we're just reliving the whole, th- I mean, there was a point in the night where we played Backstreet Boys. It doesn't sound spiritual at all. It was, it was highly spiritual. Darren's nodding his head because he was there. And the song's I Want It That Way. If you know it, Kawan, you know it, right? I want it that way, right? And yes, so we get to the bridge, we get to the bridge where it's like, um, you know, da, 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 uh, no matter the distance, I want you to know that deep down inside of me. And then it goes, you are beautiful. 
my fire. Right? And then it gets to, and then it goes to like the harmony where it's like, you are, you are, you are. Right? And then it goes, doom, 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 doom. And then it goes, don't want to hear you. And then the beat comes in. The, every single person that was at our house for dinner levitated when that part of the song hit. Don't want to hear you. Oh, and then every, I mean, even Soraya. How does Soraya know that song? Props to you for, for, that's good parenting, right? Like, even Soraya, we're all just, ah, like just to Backstreet Boys. And I'm texting Drew and Ashley afterwards, and I said, man, I've been to a lot of churches, worked at a lot of churches. I have never sang back, I'm kidding. I have never been at a church that looks so much like Jesus. I've never been at a church where the people at the church actually want to be with each other, actually want to spend time with each other. It didn't feel forced. You got to kick people out because they'll stay all night. That's the kind of stuff that we're looking for. It's a faith family. And a lot of people say faith family and people don't want, it's a faith dysfunctional family because nobody wants to see nobody and nobody calls nobody or answers when they get called. We, this is a faith family. This is what the kingdom come looks like. This is how somos santos. We are santos. This is how. This is how. Amen. And here's the kicker. People see that. We have a lot of people. Join us. And I'm going to throw this out as well. I'm asking everybody as a church, join us in praying. We are praying. We are looking for a God opportunity to get a van. We have so many people hit us up every single week. Man, I want to be there. Man, I got, I mean, at least 15, 16 people. Legit. I, w- I would be at church this week. I don't have a ride. Can I get a ride? Can somebody pick me up? Do you have a van yet? Join us in praying for a van. We got to pick up family members. Pray that God would give us a supernatural opportunity to come into a van so we can bring our brothers and sisters here for our family gatherings every Sunday morning. Amen? But you better believe that people see that and people leave and people talk about that. People tell stories of that. I said it this morning in our team huddle. People will miss a Sunday morning from time to time because if they miss Rich talking, they'll catch Rich talking next week. People are not here to hear Rich talk. And I'm honestly not here just to talk. We do this because it's scriptural. We want to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. We talked about this. We want to be devoted to scripture. We want scripture to grow in us. We esteem scripture. It's the word of God. But that should lead us to that community we're talking about. But it comes back to how we talk. And God's been good to us. And in the past several months, we've had a lot of good talk from people that call this place family. They use their words to dub this place family, to dub this place home. Over the past several months, we've had a lot of people show that their motive is to see this faith family grow. People giving selflessly, buying light. The church didn't buy this stuff. Somebody bought this stuff and installed this stuff. Somebody bought this and installed this. People are showing up. John, my brother John right here, helping us get on the live stream, shows up early, sets up all his own gear, streams all this stuff because he just told me, he said, man, listen, people got to hear about Santos. 
I want people to see what's going on at Santos. We got to share, we got to share people, share this with people. That's, that's faith meeting action. It includes that. It's not limited to that. It, it goes beyond this. The other six days of the week. Here's the verse I wanted to share with you earlier that I wanted to end with. And this is what I will end with today. James 4.17, last verse of the book of James, and it says this. Actually, sorry, throw up my final point slide real quick. Here's your takeaway from the whole message. Our words and our wills, so like our actions, our motivations, are windows to our heart. And they show us and they show others what our motivations truly are. If the love of God is driving you, you'll talk like it. You'll live like it. The love of God is driving you, people will see that in your words and in your will. If something else, they will see that in your words and in your will. And you, if you took an inventory, will see that as well. Here's my last verse for you. I'm going to read it to you. James says this to close out chapter four. He says, remember this. It is a sin to know what you should do and not do it. Wow. That's the one-liner to end the whole deal. That's what James ends it on. In basketball, when the game's really close, clock's running out, if they dish the ball to a shooter that's at the three, he pulls up, hits it. They call that the dagger. He dropped the dagger! That's the game, right? With the dagger, right? Like, like Commentary. They call it that because it's the end all. It's the mic drop. Drop the dagger on them. That's it. They got no hope for after that. James 4.17 drops the dagger. He says, oh yeah, by the way, it's sinful when we who follow Jesus know what we should be doing and we decide we're not going to do it. If I could put it to you in layman's terms, James would look at us. If we are not doing what we know we should be doing, James would look at us and he'd go, you wrong for that. Let's be more of the church, amen? Let's show more action. Let's have more God moments where people don't look at us. That's how you know it's the God moment. They won't look back at you. They'll look up and they'll go, I know you love me. That's the goal. Let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, I love you this morning. I love you so much, God. And I thank you that we get to play a role in a faith that is alive. We play a role in a faith that is not legalistic, that is not about rule keeping, that is not about stacking up righteousness, that it's not about comprising our list of achievements. God, our faith is one that you said will be magnetic if we just honor it and live it out. So Jesus, help us to see it's not only our words, it's not only our actions, it's 50-50, this is a balance. We need our words, but we need our actions to come through and validate what we talk about so much. God, forgive us because as the church, we've done a great job talking about it so much. But we haven't done a great job of acting it out so much. And God, I pray, thanks, first of all, that Santos, already we're letting our legacy be that of 
people who want to live it out, people who want to be in community, people who want to dwell together, who are knit together, who are serving each other in this building, but serving the community outside of these walls as well. Jesus, that we want to be about our faith. And I pray that as we grow and as you move us into different seasons, we would not change that, that that would be the culture of this body, of this family, that we would not be satisfied with inaction. But God, that we would know in our hearts that our faith is truly alive and truly on display. When we are serving, when we are loving, when we are selflessly giving. In short, when we're living like you. I pray that for us this morning. Convict us. Draw us into greater action. Help us to be evangelistic with our faith. Grow us, Jesus, by all the right means. Help us to know what we should be doing and then to do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks again for tuning in to the Santos Church Podcast. We hope that you were blessed by what you heard today and that it moves you towards action and greater faith in Jesus. If you'd like to connect with us more, you can find us online at santoschurch.org. And that's also a great place to give if you'd like to contribute to the ministry and our mission here in Southwest Detroit. If you're on Instagram, you can connect with us at Santos Detroit or Facebook, and it's facebook.com slash Santos Church Detroit. If you find yourself in the Detroit area, we'd love to have you in person Sunday mornings at 11, 1953 Military Street. Either way, hablamos pronto. We'll talk to you soon.